Good to see all of you and welcome to the house of the Lord, Elam Chapel. A wonderful morning, sunny, pleasant, and the Lord has blessed us all. Amen. Today we're going to look at the book of Samuel. The books of Samuel represent the last 150 years of Israel's history from Abraham to King David, the two books of Samuel. For those of you who are planning to use the Pew Bible, it's uh, 240, page 240. You're also welcome to use your iPhones, iPads, so on and so forth. One may wonder how all this history of 150 years can be contained in 55 chapters. That is because they were written from God's perspective, only including historical facts that were significant to God. So 55 chapters. This is history from a prophetic point of view as the prophets saw it. They proclaimed what God wanted them to. Therefore, it was prophetic history. You have to keep that in mind. The first and the second book of Samuel is prophetic history. That is why the first and second books of Samuel in the Hebrew Bible, they are placed in the former prophets, along with first and second Kings, Joshua and Judges. But in the English arrangement of the Bible, do you know where it's found? In the historical books. Today's reading is from 2 Samuel chapter 7. The story begins with King David and his desire to build a house better than his for God. And ends with, the, with King, King David's humble acknowledgement and acceptance of God's will for him. His household and nation of Israel. Topics for speakers generally from this chapter include, you may have read it on the internet, you may have heard about it. Topics for speakers generally include topics like Davidic covenant, David's character, his presumption, how dare he think that he can build a house for me, and speakers expound, expose on it. And also Nathan's counsel, how come he gave one counsel and he gave another counsel later on. I would like to take a different approach and not stay within the text. But fan out a little bit to gain more context and appreciation for prophetic history. So I'm going to fan out a bit, not just focus on chapter 7, so we can gain a better understanding of what this prophetic history is about. And thus gain a better understanding of God's ways and how it could apply in our situation today. You may want to call it a theological approach. Don't be put off by that word. We are all theologians because we think about God and we think about what matters to God. Am I right? We are all theologians. Hallelujah. Therefore, to understand the context a little better, let us quickly review the main events of chapter 6, sorry, chapter 5, chapter 6, Chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9. Hold on to your seats. It's an overview. Let's look at chapter 5. Pay attention to 
The phrases in bold. Pay attention to the phrases in bold. Chapter 5. After the murder of Ishbosheth, Saul's son, all Israel comes to David and crowns him king of both Israel and Judah. Finally, he gets to be on the throne after many years of wilderness wandering. David captures Jerusalem and makes it the capital, the city of David. The Lord of heaven's armies was with him. Pay attention to that phrase. The Lord of heaven's armies was with him. Hiram, king of Tyre, sends David people and materials to build him a palace. Philistines mobilize forces in the valley of Rephaim to attack David, as you can see. And David, rather than charge out, inquires of the Lord. The second phrase you need to pay attention to, inquires of the Lord regarding this matter. Twice the Philistines tried to attack Twice he inquired of the Lord. So from chapter 5, we recognize two phrases, which is Lord of heaven's armies and inquire of the Lord. Let's go to, that wasn't too bad, was it? Chapter 5 is done. Chapter 6. David wants to bring back the Ark of the Covenant that is now resting in Abinadab's house. It's been there for 20 years. Because of that, Abinadab's, Ab Abinadab's house is blessed. David wants to bring the ark back. This is chapter 6. He sets out to get the ark back. In all his haste, he forgets one commandment. He puts it on the cart, not on poles. The cart, the oxen stumble... Uzzah tries to reach out and he is killed. In his haste, David forgot that he has to hold it. He has to have men put poles through the rings and walk with it, not carry it in a new cart. Finally, it gets carried to Jerusalem by men. And placed in a new tent that David has made for the ark. David blesses the people. That's kind of cut off on that one. But on this one you can see it. So that's very good. David blesses the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. That phrase comes back again. Chapter 6. David blesses the people in the Lord of heaven's armies. Chapter 6 is done. Chapter 7. That's our chapter for today. David is resting in his palace made of cedar wood. And while the ark is in his tent. That troubles David. What does he do? He inquires of the Lord. Because the prophets in those days spoke for the Lord. So David inquires of Nathan, who advises him, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind. But later on, God in a vision tells Nathan, please go and tell David otherwise, that he's not the one to build, his son is. And God promises a lasting kingdom for the house of David 
the Davidic covenant. David prays and thanks the Lord of heaven's armies for this blessing for him, his family, and God's people Israel. The phrase comes back again, this time associated with God's promises. And he thanks the Lord of heaven's armies for this blessing upon his life, his family, and the nation Israel. Are you with me so far? Okay. Chapter 7 is done. Chapter 8. That's a short one. In chapter 8, David defeats and subdues his enemies. He did what was just and right for all his people. And the Lord made David victorious. That's chapter 8. The phrase you need to pay attention to, David did what was just and right. And the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies made David victorious. And the final chapter, chapter 9. In chapter 9, when I was reading that chapter, I kind of identified with the feelings of David. I felt good in my heart because he did, he did something special. David remembered the promise he made to Jonathan. Now here is David who has a promise from God. Reminded of a promise he made to Jonathan, Saul's son, who is now dead. That I will look after your family. And he looks for members of Saul's family and Jonathan's household to whom he, he can extend kindness. Mephibosheth, who was crippled, is found. And David honors him and gives him all the property that belonged to his grandfather, Saul, and invited him regularly to eat at the king's table. David did what was just and right. All the chapters are done. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Bible study over. Now we're going to dive into it and glean some precious nuggets which we can use and see how we can have victory like David. In other words, keep in mind, this book is prophetic book. What does God want us to get from this? What do we understand are his purposes and plans? That's how we need to see it. Some themes begin to emerge from these chapters. The Lord of Heaven's armies, that's a theme that came throughout the chapters, including chapter 7. Inquiring of the Lord and the prophets is the second theme. The third one, promises. Both God, promises that God made, and promises that David made to Jonathan. So promises. The next theme, did what was just and right. And the final one, Lord gave victory. Those are the themes that we glean from chapter 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. 
these are the themes again i'll repeat the themes are the lord of heaven's armies inquires of the lord or the prophet promises given by god promises david has made did what was just and right and finally the lord gave victory those are the themes now what do we do with these themes no point in knowing themes without practical application because in applying we live victoriously these are applicable to our individual lives families church and community for israel defeating their enemies that hindered their progress and growth and kept them from acquiring and enjoying the promised land and all that it held was of prime importance for israel conquering the promised land was of importance god had promised them the land already but on the land lived people it was not just a cake walk they had to go into the promised land conquer it take it although it was promised in our day we do not have lands agreed some of you may have lands but you're not fighting for it okay we do not have lands to conquer we have no physical enemies that we need to battle with to get those lands we have none to defeat and subdue in our quest for a promised land so how does that prophetic history fit into my dna so how can this prophetic historical narrative be applicable in this day and age is my question to us there is a good book some of you who uh, teach ot survey and theology may have heard of it by paul house paul house p a u l house r is the initial house h o u s e house um it's a good book and the, he makes the connection to israel and the land and the importance of land i haven't used it in this reference here but when i used to teach uh, ot survey and theology um i have used it it was my go to book second corinthians 10:35 i'm moving into new testament now to make the connection because we do not have lands we do not have physical enemies to fight to acquire lands but we do have promised land we do have we have been promised something which we need to acquire which we need to get although it's promised in second corinthians 10:35 we read for though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds we demolish arguments and every pretension that self sets itself up against the knowledge of god that sets itself up against the knowledge of god and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to christ that is from second corinthians ephesians 1:3 praise be to the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ our promised land god has blessed you and i with every spiritual blessing in christ 
But Bobby, I don't feel it. I feel the same every day, Sunday through Monday. Same old, dull old, boring old me. Life is so mundane. Sounds a bit like yours. But this is true. Ephesians 1.3 is very true. Praise be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. It is ours. Promised land. But are there enemies living in it? Plenty of them. Because the enemy wants to see that we do not get it. Because if we get it, we are victorious. So the enemy tries everything in his power or in its power to see that it does not let you near it. Ephesians is a wonderful letter and epistle. It ends with a battle call. Ephesians, if you read it, ends with a battle call. Chapter 6 ends with a battle call. To put on the full armor of God and take your stand against the devil's schemes and wage a battle that wages a battle against us. It ends, the letter ends with a battle call. Because you know why? In the letter of Ephesians, Paul mentions about the spiritual blessings. In order to acquire the spiritual blessings, there is a battle that we need to fight. So Ephesians ends with a battle call. Put on the full armor of God and take your stand against the devil's schemes that wage a battle against us, our families, and our church and our nation to keep us from knowing and experiencing the spiritual blessings in Christ. Am I making sense, people, so far? Ephesians 6, 10 to 12, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Like I said before, we have no physical enemy to fight. We have no physical land to conquer. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's our fight. Some of you may call it spiritual warfare, spiritual battle. Call it what you may. It's a word that's used again and again. Call it what you may. But I'm talking about being victorious, experiencing what the Lord has in store for us. That's what I'm talking about. So, Paul talks about the spiritual blessings. Do you want to know what these spiritual blessings are? Okay, let's take a quick look. What are these spiritual blessings? It's found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 14. Just as he says, you've been blessed with all the spiritual blessings. The rest of the section, 4 to 14, he elaborates what those blessings are. <clears throat> the blessings. Ephesians 1, 4 to 14, it is found immediately after he says, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing, and he lists those spiritual blessings. Go home and read it. First blessing, our choosing, our choosing to be holy and blameless. Second blessing, adoption as his children. Third blessing, forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. 
Fourth one, understanding of God's will, which we all struggle with. Unity in Christ, another one that's for our church today. Get us all fighting, the church doesn't grow. Bring disunity, done. Eternal inheritance, who we are in Christ. And promise of the Holy Spirit. Seven of them, he talks about these are the spiritual blessings that Paul enumerates, lists. These are the spiritual blessings. Did you notice something there? It doesn't speak about money. It doesn't speak about good health. Bobby, I'm a follower of Christ. But you know what? Look at my health. I'm a follower of Christ, but I'm living from paycheck to paycheck. It's a byproduct. It's a consequence of enjoying the spiritual blessings. It is not the main goal. Am I making sense, folks? So those are the spiritual blessings that Paul speaks about, which is ours. Guess what? The enemy wants to keep us from those spiritual blessings, from these spiritual blessings. He wants to keep us from experiencing it because he knows when we understand that we are chosen, our sins are forgiven, I am adopted, I have an understanding of God's will, I am eternally, I have an eternal inheritance, I am living, sealed in the Holy Spirit, I am set free. You live a different life and the evil one doesn't want you to enjoy that. This or these are the spiritual blessings. These blessings and many more are ours as promised in Christ. But we need to wear the full armor of God and take a stand against the enemy. Who is always seeking to take ground in these areas and thus prevent us, each one of us, from experiencing and knowing God more fully. So what can we learn from these prophetic narratives that we can apply to fight and defeat the enemy? And take the promised land. In this case, the spiritual blessings of heavenly realms. David had a physical battle to fight. David trusted in God, the Lord of heaven's armies, to acquire physical land that was promised to him by God, or to his forefathers, actually. We have spiritual blessings that, are, that is our promised land. In Christ, it's ours. God uh, encourages us to wear the full armor of God and go and battle because those spiritual blessings are ours and it's promised to us in Christ. But how do I get it? How do I apply this so that I can experience it? Are you ready? Ready? Okay. I'm going to give you four principles. Four. It's very easy. It's short. Steps to victory. You, some may call it spiritual warfare. Steps to engaging the enemy. Whatever you want to title, that's fine. Steps to victory. Steps to experiencing the spiritual blessings the Lord has in store for us, for each one of us and for this church. Number one, always inquire of the Lord. Always. Always. Don't think we know. 
but always inquire of the Lord. Always pray and seek guidance. Read the word. Team up with a prayer partner. Talk to somebody in church who is mature. Talk to somebody who is a praying person, who is in the word, before engaging the enemy. God will give you a plan and strategy. Amen? God will give you a plan and strategy. Before you engage, please inquire of the Lord. We do not want to make the same mistake David made carrying the ark on oxen cart. I wish he had inquired of Nathan. Nathan would have told him. He didn't. He was hasty, led to the death of Uzzah. Inquire of the Lord. Please inquire of the Lord. Next, engage in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Don't engage in Paul's name. Don't engage the enemy in the name of Jesus Christ who Paul preached. Engage in the Lord. Engage the enemy in the Lord of heaven's armies. In the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. It says in 2 Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat went to battle singing and praising God. So engage the enemy in the word of God, praising and thanking and singing him. Engage the enemy. Enumerate God's promises. Enumerate, I used, deliberately used it. It came as an alliteration. So hallelujah, praise God. That helps us remember. Enumerate, when I looked it up, means list them out one by one. List them out. Dig out, those, dig out those promises the Lord has given you. List them out. Enumerate those promises. Say it out loud. Let the enemy hear it. Let you yourself hear it. Build strength. Some say we have to remind God of God's promises. Some people say that. There is a teaching. We have to remind God of his promises as he forgets. I have a different take on it. God doesn't need reminding. We need reminding. So when we say it out loud, we are telling God, God, I haven't forgotten the promise you made to me 10 years ago that you would establish me and my household. I would understand a greater understanding of who you are. I've never forgotten that, oh God. Enumerate it. Enumerate it. One by one. Look up those old journals that you have hidden away, that you've forgotten where it is. And then finally, endeavor to do what is just and right. Endeavor. I use the word endeavor purposely because endeavor has an active angle to it. Endeavor means keep trying, strive, don't give up. Please endeavor, don't give up. You know what's the problem with us, each one of us? The last step, endeavor. We are very good at inquiring of the Lord. We are very good at engaging. We are very good at enumerating because it's all private. But the moment we have to come out into fellowship with one another, then it becomes a little difficult. God, forgive me, but I cannot forgive my brother. God, show me mercy. But I cannot do what is just and right for my sister. So, 
What happens because we miss the last step, which is the crucial step, we are still not conquering the enemy. Although we feel we have conquered, the enemy comes back again and attacks. We come back to the same rut. Psalm 15. It says, Who may dwell in the sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Please don't read the whole text. Go home and read it, Psalm 15. It talks about who may dwell in your sacred tent. It talks about endeavoring to be just and right. And that's the whole psalm. And it ends with, Whoever does these things will never be shaken. That is what the Lord says. It is not maybe may not be shaken. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Endeavor to do what is good, what is right and just. Last slide, my friends. How do we apply this? Moving to the final step of application. We have seen we have spiritual blessings. I've listed a few spiritual blessings from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 14. Spiritual blessings are God's promises in Christ Jesus for us. We have to wear on the full armor of God because we have to go into battle to get it because the evil one wants to keep us away from it. We fight against flesh, flesh and blood. In order to do that, steps to victory four, which is inquire always, engage the enemy not in your name, not in your father's God's name, but in the Lord of heaven's army's name. Enumerate God's promises to you and to your family. And finally, endeavor to do what is right and just. In other words, live out your faith. Here is a worksheet. I'm not sure if you all can see it. Um, I'll be glad to send it to you. If you, have any, if you need this, please email the church. I can send you this little worksheet. Here is a worksheet for you to list three areas we can apply these lessons that we looked at today. Take a moment, reflect on your own, reflect on them, reflect on your own, reflect as a group, reflect with your family, and how we can grow in the knowledge of God and live a victorious life as an individual, as a family, and as a church. We, the members of the church, have a great burden for this church. Am I right? Yes? Hallelujah. We have a great burden. We, the members of the church, have a great burden for us as an individual. Am I right? We, the individuals of this church, have a great burden for each of our families. Am I right? Amen. So, let us look. What did David do? Steps to victory. He inquired of the Lord. He inquired of the Lord regarding God's will and plan to regain the land. When the Philistines converged to capture Jerusalem, he inquired of the Lord. The Philistines, the enemy, wanted to take what the Lord had promised. He inquired of the Lord to get a plan, a strategy. And the Lord did answer him. Engaging the enemy in the name of the Lord. Who is the enemy? Philistines for David. Enumerating God's promises. 
which Ashley so well read from the Psalms, which I have it there, Psalms of David. I was thinking, how do I combine all this in the Psalms because it'll be too much. Thank you for reading those Psalms. And then 2 Samuel 7, 18, he talks about the promises, Davidic covenant that God made with David. And finally, endeavoring to do what is right and just. What he's experienced himself in the first three, he practices it with Jonathan and Jonathan's son. Because he has made a promise, he's endeavoring to do what is right and just in God's sight. That brings it full circle. So he was victorious. During that time, David was on the pinnacle of his power. Did you know that? David was victorious. He was on the pinnacle of his power. He was on the top of the hill. Let's look at me. How does it play out in my life? Maybe you'd like to inquire God about forgiveness of sins. That's a spiritual blessing. Some of us, we feel we are not forgiven. Because I've done so many bad things. I'm not worthy of forgiveness. And the enemy that comes to attack us is guilt. Not the Philistines, no. No Philistines for us. It's guilt. Sometimes it's shame. I don't know what yours is. So the spiritual blessing that God has given us is forgiveness of sins. Son, you're forgiven in Christ's name. But the enemy that comes and attacks us is guilt. We need to enumerate from the word of God, the promises of God. 1 John 1.9, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just. He will forgive. List them out. Matthew 6.14, if you ask God to forgive, please go do, please forgive your brother who sins against you. Then God will forgive you. Enumerate God's promises and then go out and readily forgive others. Please go out and readily forgive others. You will see how you would take more ground, more ground. In your experiencing victorious living. In you experiencing the spiritual blessings of God in our lives. I would encourage you to stand together as we read this last slide. We are going to proclaim this. But before we do that, I want us to, as a church, think about what do we need to inquire the Lord about? What do we need as a church corporately to inquire of the Lord about? Is it about understanding His will regarding leadership? Is it about understanding His will? Is it about uh, corporate understanding of forgiveness? I don't know what it is. But from that list of spiritual blessings, what is it that we as a church need to think about to inquire of the Lord? We, the board of elders, can plan... But if not inquiring of the Lord, which we have to do corporately, our plans will be worthless. What do we need to engage? What enemy do we have? It is, is it financial deficit? 
Is it confusion in our midst? Is it disunity in our midst? What is the enemy that wants to keep us from experiencing the spiritual blessings that he has promised us in Christ? What do we need to cooperatively proclaim? What promises do we need to proclaim? And what do we need to endeavor to go out and do? So let's together proclaim this, together believing. Let's proclaim it together at the count of three, out loud, shouting if you want to shout. But if, because we are conservative, let's do whatever pleases us. I will not judge you if you shout, not at all. So let's do it in unison if we can. If, it, if it's not possible, that's fine too. But let's proclaim it out to ourselves, out to the evil one, out to God and his heavenly armies and experience the spiritual blessings of God. Here goes one, two, three. The Lord of heaven's armies is God over me, my family and this church. Amen.